Namaum Vishnu Paraya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Swami Sri Bhakti Vedanta Prabhuparayate Namaha Gauravagyam Shirasidharyam Shakti Vesha Surupine Hare Krishna Timantrena Paschacha Prachatarane Vishpacharja Prabhajaja Divya Kadunyamutaye Sri Bhagavata Madhudya Gita Gyana Pradayane Gaurashi Rupa Siddhanta Saraswati Nishevine Radha Krishna Padam Boja Bringaya Guruve Namaha Devam Vibhadanam Suchanavadanam Balaka Chelanchitam Sandrananda Puram Sareka Varanam Bairagya Vityam Budim Sri Siddhanta Nidhim Shubhakti Lasitam Saraswatanam Boram Panditam Shubadam Madeka Sharanam Nyashishparam Shridharam Ajanolam Vito Bhujo Kanakabodatu Sankirtanayaka Pitaro Kamalaya Takshu Vishpambaro Dvijabaro Yugadharma Palo Pande Jagat Priyakaro Karunabutaro Sisi Gaunachanandaki Jai, Kodivashna Gruparamparaki Jai, Gaur Bhaktavindaki, Gaur Premanandi, Hari Hari Go. So we're discussing from Gopal Tapani, Upanishad. Tonight we come to text 4. Tad U Hochuru Ka Krishna, Govindas Chako Saviti, Gopi Janabalaba Ka Ka Swahiti. So the sages, Vokumaras, then they asked Brahma, Who is Krishna? And who Govinda? Who is Gopijana Balava? And who is Swaha? As we've been explaining, these names of the Lord and Swaha are the five sections of the Gopal Mantra, which is preceded by the Kamabij. It has not yet been introduced here in the text. And these names were first brought up in relation to the sages' questions. They asked four questions. They said, Who is the supreme deity? Of whom is death afraid? By knowing whom does everything become known? And what is it that makes the world turn? And Brahma's answer was, Krishna is the supreme deity. We discussed that. Govinda is he whom death is afraid of. We also discussed Gopi Janabalaba is he by whom, knowing whom, everything is known. And Svaha is that by which the world turns. So we, we discussed Brahma's answers, but the sages weren't here for that. So they're asking it in text 4. We've explained it to some extent. But these names, or these sections, I should say, of the mantra will be discussed at some length now in this portion of Gopal Tapani. So they are asking who is Krishna, who is Govinda, who is Gopi Janabalaba, and who is Swaha. They've heard already Krishna is the supreme deity, Govinda is whom death is afraid of, and so on. They want further information. So as I've explained, this section of the Gopal Tapani more or less allows us to be witnesses to the sacred initiatory rites and 
process in as much as the sage's inquiry that gives rise to Brahma's answers, the combination of the two constitutes their sage's initiation by Brahma into the chanting of the Gopal Mantra, principal mantra of our Sampradaya. So, while I've already heard the names, the five sections of the mantra, they're asking further questions. So this is acceptable. The disciples should have some relevant inquiries to ask. and In fact, it's a sign of a keen interest in the subject, so it's encouraged. The Guru's business is to answer the questions of the disciple, and the disciple should not be afraid to ask questions because they think they might bother their guru or something like that. If a guru creates too much of an air or an atmosphere that I'll be bothered by your questions, then he or she may intimidate people into not asking the questions, and he or she may not have the answers, and that's why such an atmosphere is created. So it it shouldn't be like that. It should be an open, intimate atmosphere with questions. Relevant inquiries are encouraged. Of course, if your inquiries are not relevant, then... They amount to nothing more than a pursuit of intellectual stimulation, then they may not be answered. You may get another answer, an answer that tells you that you should be inquiring about things that are relevant to your progress. So at any rate, there's a place for this and for this kind of inquiry, and Bhagavad Gita says something about it. Krishna says to Arjuna in the fourth chapter, Tadvidhi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya. About pariprashnena means relevant inquiries, or Prabhupada used to render it submissive inquiry. To give the spirit of this, I like to cite Srila Prabhupada himself, who used to say, I only had one question of my spiritual master. What was the question? How can I serve? So again, questions shouldn't be idle, just for entertainment, for intellectual stimulation. But because of arising out of an ardent interest for making progress and understanding thereby that may fuel my progress and my practice. This is the idea. So the spirit of what Prabhupada was talking about when he said, my only question is how can I serve? This should be the spirit of of what we call a a relevant or a submissive inquiry. And when we get the answer, we put it in place and go forward. Shudamarsh gave a nice explanation of that verse in the Bhagavad Gita. And he mentioned a few things, something about Prabhupada also. I explained something about relevant inquiry just now with regard to Prabhupada's line of questioning. With regard to pranipat, pranipat means to pay obeisance, offer pranam to the guru. I've told this story before, but it's a nice one worth repeating. Prabhupada was once on the East Coast in an assembly of devotees, and amongst his disciples... Swarup Damodar Goswami was there, who was a scientist, and Prabhupada had sent him back to school. Swarup Damodar Maharaj never wanted to go to school at all, but Prabhupada forced him to go to school to get his Ph.D. in science so that he could have a lettered man in his group from the scientific community to showcase around, and also that he might preach in those circles. So from the university, maybe, I think, maybe Temple University, I think, is in Philadelphia. I think this was in Philadelphia. Srup Damodar Marsh had invited a professor to come who was a professor of maybe Indology, taught Indian studies and religion, come and hear Prabhupada and have his darshan. So Prabhupada was giving the evening darshan, and Srup Damodar introduced this gentleman. And Prabhupada asked if he had any questions, and the man said, Who is God? And Prabhupada said, 
you are a teacher of religion, and you ask me who is God. What do we call this? He turned to Srup Damodar Marsh, who had invited this gentleman, who was cultivating him. And Srup Damodar Marsh said, because he knew what answer Prabhupada wanted, he said, we call that cheater, Prabhupada, not teacher. <laughs> Something that Prabhupada would say, they are cheater, not teacher. Kind of a cute play on words of sorts. Right there, and the man is right there. And he said, well, I'm, the man said, I'm coming to you because I want to know. And then Prabhupada said, no, your inquiry should be submissive. Submissive inquiry. And the man quoted this verse from Bhagavad Gita. He said, yes, pranipat. And Prabhupada said, that is not pranipat. Pranipat means again to be submissive, to be surrendered, in a surrendered mood, something like that. And simply folding the hands and quoting the verse. Then he pointed to all of his disciples with their shiny, shaved heads. And he said, this is pranipat. Shaving their heads, they're coming, they're sitting here to hear from me. They've come, they've given up, uprooted themselves from their previous involvement. They've come, they're sitting at my feet, and they're making relevant inquiries. So there'll be some background to this relevant and submissive inquiry and an offering of respects. Prabhupada also used to cite how on the Braj Mandal Parikram, initiated by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, they do the Parikram of the whole of Braj Mandal. It takes about a month. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur started that his group and Prabhupada went and when they came to the place on the marg where this Seishai Vishnu deity was there was an opportunity to have the darshan of that deity that night and it was the last night before the party would proceed onward and so it was announced this is the last night for the Seishai darshan and, and Prabhupada will be giving a lecture tonight Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Sastitakura so some disciples apparently a larger group went for the darshan and a smaller group remained to hear Prabhupada speak. And amongst them was our Prabhupada, and Sridhar Maharaj was also there. And sometime later, shortly thereafter, Prabhupada was recommended for initiation by one of his godbrothers. And Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur said, Yes, I've marked that man. He listens well. That boy listens well. And Prabhupada related it to that incident, at which time, during that incident, Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur had praised those who had remained to hear from him and criticized those who had gone to have the darshan of the deity. He called them Dandavat disciples. They paid their Dandavat. He meant in name only. They're going to see the deity, but what will they see with those eyes? We will see the deity how? Through the ears, by hearing from the Vaishnav. The deity is more present, the Lord is more present in the Vaishnav than in the deity. Why do we pay obeisances to the deity? Because some Vaishnav told us, that's God. So where is Krishna? in the heart of the Vaishnav, more so than even in the deity, we are instructed like this. So, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasitaku made this point, and Prabhupada marked it, and when he was recommended for initiation, Sarasitaku replied, no, yes, he listens very well. Prabhupada reflected back upon that event. So, we should be real disciples, not Dandavat disciples, and our inquiries should be really relevant in the sense that they're made out of real, genuine interest in making progress not only interest in making progress, but more so based on willingness to make progress. If we come before our Gurudev and ask a question, Gurudev, I want to ask you a question. Can I do this? We should be prepared for him to say no. Otherwise, our inquiry is not relevant. Not only interest in spiritual life, but willingness to take it up. In other words, we should inquire 
with a view to know what's in our interest. I have an interest to go to such and such place and do such and such thing. But what I really want to know is not can I go there, but is it in my interest, my spiritual interest, to go there or do that? And when he says no, then we're happy. So our attachment should be to what we'll call our progress. Our interest should be in what we'll call our progress, not in any particular thing other than that. Everything else is a detail. So the sages are making relevant inquiries. With regard to Sebaya, the third thing, Praniput Pariprashtena Sebaya, I said I mentioned Chudamar, she gave the nice example. Sebaya, Praniput Pariprashtena, he said, don't come to the guru cutting a return ticket. Just like if you buy an airplane ticket, what he meant was you should come buying a one-way ticket, not a two-way ticket. Not with a way out, but with your bags packed and all, and you've arrived. Of course, relative to our status as a brahmacharya, brihasta, sannyasi, or vanaprastha, that will be applied differently. But the business is the same for all of us. We should come before the guru with this kind of spirit. So the sadhus, the, the sages here, they have this kind of spirit. They're inquiring. Their inquiries are relevant. They are, in the very least, big ganis. means they've completely renounced all worldly attachments. These are the kumaras. So they didn't come with a two-way ticket, with a one-way ticket. And in his commentary on this verse, Prabodhananda Saraswati Thakur brings up the point that the sages are inquiring here into confidential subject matters. As we've heard a little bit about the significance of these words, Krishna, Govinda, Gopijana, Balava, Swaha, this is very esoteric subject matter. It deals ultimately with establishing the recipient of the mantra, the disciple, in a relationship with Krishna transcendental relationship with Krishna in his Leela and for the most part within the Braj Leela and in terms of its furthest reach Braj Leela in Gopi Bhav so very esoteric confidential subject matter and Prabhupada Sarasthi comments that they make these inquiries the Kumars without the slightest hesitation the significance of them having no hesitation is that they have some eagerness for this there's reason to be hesitant to inquiring into Braj Bhakti, such a high topic, such a confidential topic, such a high spiritual realm, the zenith of spiritual attainment, where the Supreme God is dealt with as an equal, as a lover, as may be the case in terms of the different relationships there in Braj. They're inquiring without hesitation. They have adhikar for this. They're eager for this. They have some attraction. The word given in a Gaudiya vocabulary for this is lobha. It means also greed, really, literally. And in a sense, greed is a good term, a good word to use to explain the adhikar or the qualification for inquiring into that. Now, as I said before, we all have some of this to some extent because we're interested in Krishna Leela but it's very little. Kanishtadikari shraddha, lobamayi shraddha. But, again, the word greed is good because what does greed do? Ordinary greed causes us to lose sight of our self-dignity and obscures the real picture of things. Causes us to act inappropriately. So, in relation to God, 
the Braj Bhakti, the Krishna Lila in Golok, in Braj Vrindavan, Mathura Mandala. Again, I say this is an appropriate word because what happens when we have that and we pursue that and we, we arrive at that is we act, for the most part, what would appear to be inappropriately. Because Krishna is Parama Dehivatam. Brahma has already said it, the Supreme God. And is it appropriate to climb on top of the shoulders of the Supreme God, wrestle with him and pin him to the ground, and declare, stand above him and declare, I won, I've defeated you, now you must carry me on your shoulders. So most people in the religious spectrum would consider this inappropriate, the Brajalila, difficult to understand. It's a kind of a bewilderment. So as much as greed causes a kind of bewilderment and makes us act inappropriately, in this sense, this is an appropriate word to use to describe the adhikar for Bhakti. It's a madness to be interested in this. Of course, we get the interest in it from other mad people. So if we associate with mad people, then you become mad. That's a lesson to be learned. So as I mentioned before, based on this and the comments of Prabodhananda Saraswati and the subject matter that they're inquiring into, it appears that the Kumaras here in the Supanishad, who are more often portrayed as Gani Bhaktas in the Gaudiya lineage, they have some connection to the Braj Lila. And Rupa Goswami, of course, mentions them in his Radhastava. What does he say? Sanaka Sanatana Bonita Charite. He says, Radhe Jai Jai Madhava Daite Gokul Taruni Mandala Mohite. You know the song? And he says, Karunam Kurumai. So, describing the beauty of Radha as Karunamai, the abode of mercy, he mentions these Kumaras and how they are worshipping her. And by his saying that the Kumaras are worshipping her, of course, he's also teaching us that, oh, her worship, the worship of this Gokul Tarani Mandala Mohite, most beautiful, charming girl of the village Gokul. This is just a cowherd village. And these big Gyanis, are worshipping her. So it tells us what? It's not what it appears to be. Radharani is not just a village girl. She's Mahabhav Swarupini, the very embodiment of the highest ecstasy, the abode of love, the highest ideal of devotion. And the Kumaras from some distance are offering their regard. So, as I say, in the very least, Srila Rupa Goswami in his song teaches us by concluding that song by the beautiful village girl who so much charms the heart of Krishna that she's not an ordinary village girl and Krishna's not an ordinary village boy. But perhaps more so as we are drawing from this instance here in Gopal Tapani, the Kumaras have some adhikar, some place, some representation in Golok, in Krishna Lila. And as I've also mentioned before, the Kumar Sampradaya is of course founded by the Kumaras and it happens to be a Ragmark Sampradaya. Although they stress the Swakya married relationship between Radha and Krishna. Their interest is in Sakibhav, to become a Saki of Krishna. And they do emphasize the position of Radha Rani, as opposed to the Balab Sampradaya, which is another Ragmarg Sampradaya that doesn't emphasize Radha. It's said that Mahaprabhu's Sampradaya has two elements that are found in each other of the four Sampradayas, Vaishnav Sampradayas. I once told one of Prabhupada's God brothers, I mentioned this, I said, Mahaprabhu has taken two points from each Sampradaya to form his Sampradaya. He said, Mahaprabhu has not taken anything from anyone. Each of the two Sampradayas have borrowed two points from Mahaprabhu's Sampradaya. 
It's just the opposite. Mahaprabhu's sampradaya and conception is the full conception. And theirs is partial conception. So from Kumar sampradaya, one of the points of that sampradaya uh, is the worship of Radharani, emphasis on Radharani that we find in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's. The other one is, I cannot recall, but that's the most relevant to the discussion. So, verse 5. Tan uvacha brahmanaha papa kāshana gobhumi veda vidito vidito gopi jana vidya kāla prerakas tan māya ceti sakalam param brahmaiva tat. So Brahma answers the sages. They ask, who is Krishna? He says, Krishna is the one who destroys our sins. We have already heard that Krishna is constituted of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. In the opening stanza, spoken by Shruti Devi, Satchidananda Vigraha, Krishna. And thus, in that sense, he destroys sin, by which we mean karmic reactions that represent ignorant, non-enduring condition that begets misery. So the very antithesis of what Krishna is the embodiment of, is what, in one sense, sin or karmic reaction is all about. Do you follow? Again, karmic reaction is reactions based on ignorance. Ignorance of the self causes us to interact with sense objects. To the extent we have ignorance of the self, which is eternal, full of knowledge and bliss, we interact with non-eternal, non-cognitive even, often, and certainly not blissful manifestations of material nature in search of those very three things. That's ignorance. So it's an ignorant condition that sinful reactions represent ignorance and a non-enduring condition. Our karmic implication is not enduring or any position we may have within the karmic world is one that's not enduring, it's changing. And again, it begets misery. So Krishna is just the antithesis of this. We've already heard this. So in this sense, he destroys sin. And also the special features of Krishna, as opposed to all of the Vishnu avatars, Narayan and all the avatars, is his capacity to deliver sinful people by slaying them. None of the other avatars exhibited this. But upon slaying the demons, those demons became liberated. So when we become liberated, we truly become freed from sins. Karma reactions being sin, when karma is finished, what is our position? Then we are liberated, we are mukta. So he has such capacity, he's demonstrated in his leelas to fully eradicate sin. So in the full sense of the term, Krishna is the one. He gives the answer like this. Who is Krishna? Krishna is the one who destroys all sin. And not only does he destroy sin like that by killing big asuras, like Kangsa and others, but in some instances, as we've already mentioned, in the Brajlila, for example, with Putana, he not only destroys their sin, but puts them in a position of devotion that is very extraordinaire, from which there's no possibility of ever committing sin. In a general sense, that's true for liberation of any sort, but to be absorbed in the Vatsalya nursehood of Putana is an extreme example of how Krishna takes a sinner and eradicates sin from one's life altogether. 
I've quoted Baldev Jibhushan here. He says about the name Krishna, He whose transcendental pastimes attract even the minds of the sinful. Good example for that is Kamsa. Who could be more sinful? He was ready to kill his own sister. And he ultimately imprisoned her and killed her children. This is horribly sinful. Took the throne away from his own father. But he was completely obsessed with Krishna in Bhayam, fear. Out of fear, he was day and night thinking about Krishna. So this is a good example of what Baladeva Bhujibhushan has said. Krishna has the power to attract even the minds of the sinful. Also, Krishna is so wonderful and such a wonderful and comprehensive and charming conception of the absolute truth that the sinful, in terms of the atheistic people, they also become attracted to him. We meet people often that are very... I used to meet people, I should say, when I was selling Prabhupada's books, often enough, who were absolutely, like Kamsa, absolutely obsessed inimically towards Krishna consciousness. We used to find them. I would sell a book to somebody and then they would go and chase after that person, convince that person to give them the book. You don't really want that book, do you? Uh, give me the book. They would get the book and come in front of me in an airport and tear it up in front of me. So as disconcerting as that may be, it was very interesting at the same time to note how obsessed they become with Krishna. A sinful person, but he becomes so obsessed negatively. I don't know if we find that towards any other conception of Godhood. There are people, of course, that want to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance in America, for example, that's a thing now in the press, and prayer to school and so forth. So atheists do tend sometimes to get obsessed with God in a negative way. But I saw personally example of extremes in this regard. And I also saw some of those people become devotees. I knew a fellow who used to rip up books in the Port Authority airport, wherever he could get them, in front of the devotees, who later became a disciple of Srila Prabhupada. This is the power of Krishna and Krishna Nam. So, Krishna, Brahma says, is, who is he? He's who destroys all sin. And who is Govinda? So, Brahma gives a nice answer. He says, Gobumi Veda Bidito Bidita. He says, Go, Bumi, Veda, Medito, Medita, who is known to the cows, who is known to the earth, who is known to or by the Veda, this is Govinda. So Govinda, in relation to the cows, of course we know, cows are very dear to Krishna. This time of day, in the Braj, Balaram sounds his bugle, as he does early in the morning, 6 a.m., to wake all the cowherds up from their homes, all assemble at Nandishwar, in the courtyard of Nanda Maharaj, and there Subal, Sridham, Sudam, they'll come and say, Uto, Uto, Krishna, Kotai, where is Krishna? Get up, get up, they call. Oh, bye. And all thousands and millions of them assemble and enter, one will go up and wake Krishna in the morning, second waking of Krishna, of course, around 6 a.m. So Balaram's bugle horn, buffalo horn, bugling, assembling them all, and at the end of the Gosti Lila, herding in the forest, then he collects them all together and blows his buffalo horn. Now it's time to return to Vrindavan. So all the boys gather and then they scatter, looking everywhere, in the caves, in the bowers, and all along the banks of the Jamuna, looking for the cows making sure that they can find everyone. And they become full of anxiety. 
that a cow may be left behind or a calf may be left behind. And full of such anxiety, they approach Krishna and express to him. And he says, don't worry, he plays on his flute. Such a sweet sound, and all the cows come running, galloping. And sometimes he has a jeweled mala, and he chants of 108 jewels. He chants on the mala, calling 108 different groups of cows. White group, the black group, yellow group, red group, and then groups based on color, groups based on shape, some with heads like murdungas, shaped like murdungas, some heads shaped like lions, and so forth. And this way they all assemble, and all the boys speak amongst one another, just see how expert Krishna is. And they all run up, the cows run up to him. They run at full speed and stop right in front of him. Again, see, Bhumi will do that sometimes. They call you, run, 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 stop. He'll stop right in front and lick Krishna and he'll pet them and so forth. And then that's with this way they have all assemble, calves and cows and cow herds, and begin the procession. Young boys in front with flags and festoons and banners, others playing on kettle drums and other types of drums, playing their buffalo horns and flutes. They make a concert that would make the Chicago Symphony sound like noise, only sound off key. They make a symphony. This is like Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But it's inside that Sankirtan. That kind of symphony and symphony like in Rasalila with gopis playing different instruments and so forth. And, and the heavenly people looking down and playing instruments. Very sophisticated concert. Joyous. And dancing and moving, moving in a big circle with Ram and Krishna in the center. And they're dancing and dancing. And, and cows are moving all along and the dust is churned up into the sky and falling on Krishna and beautifying him. Cowards are dressed just similar to him. They all look alike practically. But these two in the center and the sun is going down with the cloud of dust is going up and obscuring the sun because he's embarrassed. How bright is Krishna? Yugal Kishore of Krishna and Ram. How beautiful they are. Coming and giving light to the inhabitants of Vrindavan. They're all assembled down. They heard the horn of Balaram all gopis, elderly gopis and young gopis, everyone in the village, all assembling on the borderline between the village and the pasture to greet Krishna. And Mahaprabhu and Nadia, he's at the bank of the Ganga at this time, and he starts to move into the town. He's bathed and done afternoon sports deep in the forest, along the bank of the Ganga, swimming Radhakund pastimes, Shamkund Radhakund pastimes he enters into. Then he comes out and he enters into the town of Nadia doing Sankirtan and people coming out from their homes and storefronts to see the Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And as he crosses, coming through the Ganga, then so many cows are coming and calves and running up to him and in great joy he's seeing them and remembering this Leela of Krishna and Balaram, this eternal Leela, daily Leela. In this way, also covered with cow dust, he enters into the home of Jagannath Mishra, Sachi Mishra, prepares himself for evening puja and taking prasad just at this time. So this Govinda, dear to the cows. Govinda is he who is dear to the cows and to the earth. He's known on earth. All over the earth Krishna is known. He's dear to the earth. Earth is dear to him. Krishna appeared on earth, not on Mars, not on Pluto, not on the moon, but earth. How auspicious is this planet? We've taken birth on Earth. How auspicious. In any species. Take birth on Earth. What to speak of as a human being. In connection with Sadhu and Guru to hear about all these things. 
inconceivable as our fortune. So earth is very special, dear to Krishna. As Varaha, he lifted her from the depths of the Plutonic regions. So many pastimes of the Lord's are performed on earth, but Krishna himself comes and performs this Vrindavan Leela. And Vrindavan, Golok Vrindavan replica is on earth. Boma Vrindavan, Gokul Vrindavan. So earth is very dear to Krishna. And Veda, he's known to the earth, he's known to the cows, he's known to the Veda. His cowherding earthly Leela is what the Veda is all about in essence. So Brahma says, Go Bhumi Veda Bhidito Bhidita and Gopi Jana Balava. He says, Gopi Jana Vidya Kala Prerakas. They said, the Kumars, Who is Gopi Jana Balava? And Brahma replied like this. Saraswati Prabodhanandaji says, Those who are forms or parts, Kala, of perfect knowledge, Vidya, that is loving devotion in a specific mood are the gopi jana. He who inspires them or engages them in his personal pastimes is their lover, Balava. He comments further that the knowledge, vidya, mentioned here by Brahma in relation to gopi jana Balava, by whom all things are known. Here in this verse he says, gopi jana vidya kala prerakas, the knowledge of the gopis, the perfect knowledge of the kala, which means the shakti, the part, the shakti of the Lord. What does Brahma Samhita say? Ananda chinmaya rasa pati tabis tabiya eva dinjarupatayak kalabhi goloka eva nilasati akilatma bhutta govindamari purusham tamahambajami Describing all these gopis as the part of Krishna. Ananda chinmaya rasa pati bhavitabhis tabiya eva nijarupataya kalabhi They are expert in all of the arts 64 arts of love. They are the parts of Krishna. They are not ordinary people. They are the manifestations of the Lord's Shakti, Sarup Shakti. This Kala means Gopi, Vidya, and they have a specific kind of knowledge. He said that is a certain devotional loving mood. So he says further, Prabodhana Sarasati, that this is this knowledge that they have is what is mentioned in Bhagavad Gita when Krishna says, Rajavidyam Rajukuyam Pavitram Idam Uttamam Pratyakshavagamam Damam Susukam Kartamabhyam Where does this verse come? Rajavidya Rajukuyam Ninth chapter. What is the subject of the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita? This is the middle of the eighteen chapters. What do we find is the emphasis of chapter nine? In chapter nine we find emphasis on Shuddhabhakti. Pure devotion. The conclusion of the whole Bhagavad Gita comes at the end of the ninth chapter. What does Krishna say? What is the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita? So it begins Rajavidyam. I'm going to give you the highest knowledge and it ends with Bhakti. The highest knowledge, the idea is Bhakti. As I've oftentimes said, love has a kind of automatic knowing within it. One who loves knows what to do. And the knowledge of love, the knowledge that is inherent in love, is essential, is nothing extra. You understand what I'm saying? We haven't so much knowledge, we have extra knowledge. It's not necessarily essential. We might use it here, we might use it there. We are fond of collecting knowledge and so forth. But this knowledge of love 
It is only the essential knowledge of what to do, how to be happy, how to be fulfilled. So this bhakti is the essence of all knowledge. It's prema bhakti jahavete abhidyabhinashayate. Who has prem bhakti can destroy ignorance. That means there must be knowledge in prem bhakti. So it is mentioned as such by Krishna. Rajabhidya, in fact, it's the king of knowledge. End of all knowledge is this braj bhakti, this love, devotion to Krishna. And gopis have that to the extreme. They are the extreme example of that. A kind of knowledge that amounts to a specific type of mood. So it's talking about bhav. This ninth chapter is carried over into the tenth chapter. What does Krishna say? He says there, Aham sarvasya prabhavo matasavam pavartite viti matva bhajante mam raga bhava samanvita buddha bhava samanvita raga samanvita buddha raga samanvita bhava samanvita raga samanvita this is what Krishna is talking about. This is the most confidential knowledge of Bhagavad Gita and all of the scripture. It comes in a seed form in Bhagavad Gita. So this is what Brahma is talking about when he answers the Kumara's question, who is Gopijana Balaba? He is the Balaba of them. He is the master of them, the husband of them, the lover of them. Who them? The Gopijana, these Gopi people who are possessed of a specific type of essential knowledge that constitutes prema bhakti and then swaha they ask what is swaha and brahma explains tanmaya it is his maya maya means mercy so he's saying it is his mercy it is that shakti under the influence of which his leelas conducted yoga maya as we mentioned the other day it is the heart of actual life which makes the world go round and is entered into with the spirit of sacrifice. Under its influence, the illusory representation of real life is dissipated. I've quoted Gautamiya Tantra. Gautamiya Tantra says, Swa refers to the knower of the field. Ha is the higher spiritual nature. From the combination of these two arises the sacred word Swaha, appearing on the lips. Therefore, the dissolution of the universe takes place in the ocean of Swaha. Let me read the concluding paragraph here. Having answered the sages' questions concerning the identities of Krishna, Govinda, Gopi, Janabalava, and Swaha, Brahma concludes his answer by stating that all of these together are one, the Param Brahman, in his full glory. As we shall see in verse 15, the names Krishna, Govinda, and Gopi, Janabalava, as found in the Gopal Mantra, represent the entirety of Krishna Lila, both his pastoral and princely pastimes. Shri Gopal Tapani Shruti Ki Jai. <laughs> <laughs>